That was the movie uh, Forbidden Kingdom. That was Jackie Chan. That's sort of a remake of Karate Kid. Remember that? Wash on, wash off. And it's a great movie. I, I uh, want to lift up that Buddha Palm has nothing to do with Buddha. It's just a move in karate. But if I could change one thing about that, that clip, I would say empty your cup and fill it with Jesus Christ. It isn't just an empty cup. It is a cup that needs to be filled by God. We're starting a new series today, as you've seen. We've got a tree here in the middle of uh, our church, and we, we're starting a series called Spring Planting. Now, this series came to me not too long ago when a woman came into my office and just said, Graham, I just need wisdom in my life now. And I hesitated because a lot of things we could pray for at that moment. The intercession, intercession of the Holy Spirit, we could do that. We could pray for uh, God's power to take hold in her life. But wisdom is actually something that needs time to cultivate and to, to grow. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about three things that we need to plant in the spring so that we can get harvest in the fall. First is uh, wisdom. And then next week, we're going to look at understanding. Who doesn't need understanding today? And then finally, we're going to look at discernment. And we're going to look at those three gifts that we need. Now, by the way, just to lift up, 90% of the gifts in the Bible are things that you can have right now. You can have forgiveness in your heart. If there's somebody who you are holding on to a grudge about, today you can let go of that. If you want to uh, forgive others or have them forgive you, you could also uh, ask for salvation today. That's a huge gift, obviously, that you can get this very second. But wisdom is something we're going to take a little bit longer to unpack and to grow in our lives. By the way, thank you so much for your perseverance in Lent. I know it's not easy. It's my first Lent too. It is hard getting through. I know there's a woman in the church today who gave up chocolate. Another woman that we saw in the video, that's a big one, I guess. And it ain't easy, is it? This whole chocolate giving. Amen, sister. And then uh, I know there's another woman who gave up manicures and she is really mad about this one. Uh, her hands, she said, are just wrecked and she's doing it for life water. Uh, by the way, we don't have it as bad as Catholics, just so you know. Now, Catholics, they have to eat fish on Fridays, and some Catholics do fish all the week. Do you remember? Does anyone know that? I heard about a Catholic neighborhood that was real serious about fish, and so they ate fish all week long. But there was one Presbyterian in the town, and he would just eat this succulent steak every single night. It just drove the Catholics nuts. I mean, he would have this incredible barbecue, just beautiful, and it would be a succulent dripping with all kinds of juices. And, and they would feel very tempted by this guy. And so they prayed about it, and they figured out what they would do. They would convert this guy to Catholicism. So they took him down to the, uh, to the synagogue, or synagogue, sorry, to the cathedral that weekend, <laughs> mixing my religions. And uh, the, the Catholic priest, sure enough, was able to convert the guy, and he came up front, and the Catholic priest said, once you were a Presbyterian, always a Presbyterian, but now you're a Catholic. I'm practicing that all week to see him. <laughs> so, so they think they've got this thing wired, right? All these Catholics, they don't have to worry about the temptation of the steak anymore. The next year rolls around, they're eating their fish and they smell this beautiful steak, this smell coming in. What is up with John? They go back to John. He's got a barbecue and he's got a piece of steak on there and he's doing this thing with holy water over it. And he says, once you were a piece of steak, always a piece of steak, but now you are a piece of fish. <laughs> I just want you to know I'm working on my jokes, okay? All right. So we're talking about wisdom today. Uh, wisdom is something we have to be careful about a little bit because in some traditions, wisdom is something you can get instantly. We don't believe that in the Reformed tradition. It takes time to cultivate. Also, wisdom has been put up on a plane in and of itself in the world today that's almost a goddess. And the word Sophia is the Greek for wisdom and they, there are people who worship that. We're definitely not doing that. Also, we know there's a lot of wacky wisdom in the New Age tradition today. 
But wisdom is something we should take seriously. The Bible has three books called wisdom literature. It's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. If you want to read wisdom books today, just do that. My favorite Ecclesiastes uh, one, it says, uh, What does man gain from his labor as he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Deep wisdom. I love this from Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Beautiful wisdom. The book of Proverbs has wisdom I just love. Uh, Proverbs says this, He who enters into a quarrel that isn't his own is like a person who takes a passing dog by the ears. You can't beat that. In other words, don't get into arguments that don't belong to you. The, uh, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Would you say that with me? It's a good way to start the morning. Chokmah. Chokmah. Now, chokmah is not just something we do with our heads. It's something we do with our lives. It's an activity. It's, it's a deed. It's a function. And it's not just like uh, book knowledge. You can have wisdom in embroidery. You can have wisdom in winemaking or in car mechanics or whatever. By the way, the smartest guys I know are click and clack. Have you ever seen these guys or heard them? Uh, car show, people call in about radiator problems and he gives them advice about their marriage. And I'm not going to touch that one for humor today. But So God can give us wisdom in all areas. So everyone in this room can get it. But it's something that we must cultivate in the spring so that we can have it in the fall. Let's jump right into our text today. We're going to look at James, who is the brother of Jesus. And I must say, he must be this, uh, one of the guys who knows more about wisdom than anybody in the Bible. Because he stood next to the man who was the wisest, and that was Jesus. Let's look at our text. Uh, James three thirteen through 18. It begins this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, his deeds done. It's something we do with our lives. It's not something we just think. It's how we live our lives. That's wisdom. Then he says, let him show it in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's a funny thing about wisdom. The more you get, the less you actually seem to have. I noticed this when I was in college. I took a bunch of introductory philosophy classes, and I got like a D in them. They were like multiple choice, you know, which philosopher did this. Then I took like an advanced class at uh, graduate school, like a 900-level class. I like aced it. Because you don't have to be as like, those guys, they don't know anything anymore. They know so much, you know? So I would write, they would write, what is the chief end of man? And I just wrote, hmm. And like I aced that test. <laughs> so, but it's actually... When we, when we get to a place of wisdom in our lives, we actually need to come to a place of humility, which we'll talk about in a second. Now, he talks a few things about things that get in the way of wisdom, and Roy brought this up in the prayer. If you harbor bitter envy, you know what envy is. It's jealousy is wanting your friend's boat, envy is wanting your friend's boat to sink. If you want your friend's boat to sink, you can't have wisdom. You have to want the best for the people around you. You can't have selfish ambition. When you're trying to go for you, when you're trying to build it up for you, you can't be wise. Do not boast about such things or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly. I love that. Wisdom comes from heaven. The stuff here isn't really wisdom. That's why it's so important to take time when you make a decision. If somebody asks you to make a decision tomorrow morning to say, I'm going to take a week or two. I'm going to take some time. Because we need to allow the Holy Spirit and God to be able to take time to give us that wisdom. So it is not from heaven, it is from the earth. 
For where you have envy, when you have people wanting bad things to happen to their neighbors, when you have selfish ambition, people wanting to do things just for themselves, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But here's the focus. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure. It's pure. It's simple. It's peace-loving. You ever know somebody who is like so smart, they're making everybody else feel dumb around them? That person's really not smart. Because a really wise person makes other people around them smarter and feel smarter. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It says, hey, maybe you're right. I'll think about that for a while. It's full of mercy. It gives room for people to make mistakes around them. It shows good fruit. You ever see a person who has a tree that has no fruit on it, and they're just so proud of their tree, but there's nothing on that tree? You got to find the tree that has fruit on it. That person has wisdom. And then it says, as I love it, it's, it's, it's impartial. It doesn't take sides. And it's sincere. It's honest. And I love this last part. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I love that. Peacemakers and, and wisdom come hand in hand. It's something that we sow in the spring and we reap in the fall. I've just, I'm so proud of myself. I just finished a book that I've been reading for over a year. And it's Einstein. And it's full of math and physics, and I am not good at that. But I wanted to really try to understand this, this a soaring figure, Einstein. Now, one thing I feel is after reading this, I feel that Einstein had a lot of wisdom, or he approached it. The one piece that he was missing, I think, would be a personal knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more in a second. But Einstein was so kind. I remember when I was at uh, Princeton, I was uh, the person who did tours you know, the guys were like, walk this way for the incoming students. And so I'd always love to ask people as we were doing this walk, and we'd be walking right by Einstein's house, which was just around the corner. I would say, uh, any questions? And some girl would be like, uh, should I use black or blue ink on my application? I'd just be like, walk this way. There's Einstein's house. And everyone would turn. It was so much fun. One time in the 1950s, a little girl came to uh, Einstein's door, but Einstein didn't know it was a little girl. He was upstairs doing a uh, an applic- He was doing a the unified theory of the universe, uh, the math equation, the most important math equation in the history of humankind. So he's up there working away on this hugely intense math equation, and he hears this knock at the door. He decides to ignore it because he's working on the unified theory of the universe. He goes down, and there is a little girl standing there with her math book. Well, little girl says, Dr. Einstein, I need help with my math equations. Could you help me with a solution? And her parents didn't know that she was actually coming next door for this. So the little girl, Einstein says, well, it's time for lunch. Why don't you come into the house? And they sat down, and they started to work out her little math book equation. Little girl said, Dr. Einstein, would it be okay if, like, I came back again someday? And Einstein, as a kind man, said, that would be okay, well, he's thinking like three months down the road, right? The next day, there's a common knock at her door, their door that's more like that. He goes down, and there are three little girls outside. <laughs> Two story. All with their math books. My friends need help, too, they said. So they come into that doctor and says, Well, it's time for lunch. Let us open this equation ourselves. So he goes up the stairs to his office, and there is his table with the unified theory of the universe right on the table. And these little girls put their little math books down. He says, let's have lunch first. So he 
takes out three cans of beans, true story. And he opens these cans of beans and he gets out his Bunsen burner. And he warms them up and he gets three old spoons and they have lunch together. (laughs) James put it this way. He said, if you want wisdom, you must be kind and sincere. And you must put down the things of your lives. Selfish ambition. You, You must be full of mercy. And you must be full of fruits. That's what we can have. You can have wisdom. I want to talk to you about this because wouldn't it be great if we had a church that was just full of not just like passion, but also wisdom. And I think we're approaching that. So let's talk about how we can become wiser. First of all, number one, wisdom begins with knowledge and cell phones, but mostly knowledge. (laughs) Wisdom begins with knowledge. Raise your hand if anyone knows who Yogi Berra is. Anybody here? It must be the lights, but everyone who raised their hand has gray hair. That's okay. (laughs) So Einstein, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yogi Berra was a guy who had chokmah, remember? Wisdom that comes from knowledge about the world, not just books. He was a great baseball player. Wait for the Yankees. He said a couple things. He said, first, never give up because it ain't over till it's over. He said, second, when you come to a fork in the road, take it, he said. Third, he said, don't always follow the crowd. Nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. (laughs) Fourth, he said, stay alert. You can observe a lot just by watching. Fifth, he said, at last, remember, whatever you do in life, 90% of it is half mental. (laughs) He's right. 90% of it is half mental. You can't have wisdom without knowledge. You can't have wisdom without knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And... I would say there are two kinds of wisdom that we all need. We need biblical wisdom. We need the wisdom of this book. We need to saturate ourselves with this book. It needs to become inside of us, outside of us. It has to be something that we live. And secondly, we have to have practical knowledge. Whatever you do, maybe you work in a winery or you work building houses. I would just say, go into that. Make that something. If if you're too heavy on biblical knowledge, you're not in the world enough. And if you're too heavy on practical knowledge, you may not know the Bible as well as you should. By the way, all the programming that we offer here is pretty much to help you get to know this book better. We do it in creative ways. Beth Moore, if you're a woman, please go to Beth Moore. They're studying Esther for wisdom in the fall of their lives. Uh, The Wednesday noon Bible study, the Wednesday evening Bible study, the ADAPT class for singles, um, all kinds of things we're trying to do. But have you noticed in the world today, so many young people don't have biblical knowledge. And older people. I taught um, high school 11 years ago. And I was a brand new teacher. And teachers, you'll know that when a person starts teaching for the first time, you're just trying to put too much information in. And I remember standing up in front of the class. This is an Old Testament freshman, freshman Old Testament class. And I said, now we're going to study the Pentateuch. And uh, a girl raised her hand and said, what's the Pentateuch? I said, well, it's the first five books of the Bible. And I kid you not, another kid raised her hand and said, what's the Bible? Then another kid raised her hand and said, what's a book? Kid you not, we're entering an age where kids don't know what books are. Another girl raised her hand and said, I think I'm in the wrong class. But (laughs) um, So we just started walking through this book. Now, we have been told again and again, you're the Bible light church, you're the Bible light church. We are not the Bible light church. It's just that there are a whole lot of people out there who don't know what the Pentateuch is. And so we've lowered the bar here. We want everyone to grow in this thing together, right? And the worst thing would be is if we had 
bunch of people making other people feel dumb by their Bible knowledge. We're not going to do that. I went to a funeral yesterday that just was so heavy. My friend Jamie Evans, who was a pastor in Cambria, passed away last week. He uh, was a wonderful pastor. He did our family camp, age 50, an incredible guy. I know that will be news to some of you. And if you want to pray with me about that after today's service, I'd be happy to. But Jamie was such an amazing guy because he memorized huge passages of Scripture. He had ADHD, and he was also dyslexic. And so at the very early age, he had to memorize huge passages of, of Scripture. But that was inside of him. It was something that was living and breathing. And we need to do the same. Wisdom begins with knowledge. Second thing is, wisdom also must have humility. It must be something that you do in humility. My favorite story about this is William, uh, William uh, Clark and Meriwether Lewis. You know these guys, Lewis and Clark? Their job was to go from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean, up the Missouri River. It's got to be the easiest job in the world, right? You just float the Missouri River and you head out to the Pacific. Thomas Jefferson said, head out, boys. Here's a couple canoes. Just head out to the Pacific. So, you know, the Missouri River, Great Big River, they thought this was going to be a cake job. They just, you know, float on down, right? Well, they get to this river as it starts to go into the west. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally, it finally trickles out at the foot of the Idaho Montana mountains. (laughs) Well, there's a little mountain there. So they figure, well, we'll just take the canoes up this little mountain and there will be the Pacific. (laughs) They hiked up this mountain. These were not mountain climbers. These were not guys who knew anything about the snow conditions. They got to the top of the mountain and not the Pacific, but the Rocky Mountains were facing them. Now, these weren't the Appalachians. These were huge mountains. They knew nothing about this. These were guys who had wisdom from West Point. They had wisdom from military academies. They had wisdom from books all their lives. They knew how to do rivers. They did not know how to do mountains. Well, just then, they decided that they would turn back because these mountains were too big. But a Native American girl by the name of Sacagawea said, I know how to get over these mountains. So they led William Clark and Meriwether Lewis over these mountains. And not too long after that, they found the Pacific. They had to empty their cups of themselves, the knowledge that they had. You're facing mountains now, financial mountains. Our world is facing social justice mountains, political mountains. We're facing all kinds of interpersonal mountains. The temptation will be to say, well, these are too big. But it's that point that God wants us to empty ourselves of ourselves and allow us to be led by the Holy Spirit, by humility. The smartest guy who ever lived in the first century was the equivalent of Einstein. His name was the Apostle Paul. He knew Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Ugaritic, Ethiopian. He knew how to speak in tongues. He knew how to lead church. He knew he was a wise man. This is what Paul said nearing the end of his life about wisdom. For now, we see only in part. We see only through a glass dimly. But someday we will see face to face and we will know all things. That's the humility that we need to have. The last and most important thing is this, though. Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of wisdom. 
No one was ever smarter than Jesus. Nobody was ever wiser than Jesus. As I read this book about Einstein, it was almost heartbreaking because he spent the last 30 years of his life trying to come up with this unified theory, being interrupted by little girls all the while. The way he did that is he tried to pull equations out of thin air, an equation here, an equation here. He spent 30 years just trying to pull equations out of nowhere. If I could have had five minutes with Einstein, I would have loved to have said, try this one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word word means wisdom, and it also means Jesus. In the beginning was wisdom. And it wasn't just the things Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want to become wise, you must become like a child. He said, if you want to move a mountain, you have to have the faith of a mustard seed. It was not just the things Jesus said. It was the thing that Jesus did. The wisest thing anyone ever did was to die on a cross. And the wisest thing you could ever do would be to fall at the feet of that cross and say, Lord, here I am. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, I thank you so much for the wisdom that comes from the ages. I ask that you would help us to gain that in our lives in the spring of this day so that in the fall we could have some depth in our lives. Lord, there are people today who are struggling with so many things. And we ask that you would help them to see that those mountains you can help us overcome. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.